I don't know what happened here. So let's, uh, let me just bring, I'm Drew DeGrotto, your host. Let me bring in the panelists on this uh, Tuesday afternoon on BibleQuest.tv. How you doing, Jonathan? Good to see you. I'm doing well. And just so you know, Drew, um, we're live on Zoom, but uh, it's not connecting to Facebook. So I'm working on getting that live as well. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Um, I'm a little uh, disoriented right now. So Scott, our programmer director is here. I'm going to turn it over to you quickly. Scott, how are you doing? I am doing fine. And there is something funky going on with your uh, flannel shirt there in, in your green screening or whatever. Um, so, or you may be about, I don't know, maybe you're like about to be beamed up on Star Trek or something, but something <laughs> is happening there. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, uh, I don't I'm, know if there was a, an update on the Zoom app, but all of a sudden, all of my images for the green screen background are gone. And well, I've got I've got the craziest. Wait a minute, I know it. I'm in the wrong area altogether. This is crazy. Anyway, let's not uh, belabor what issues I'm having. How all right. Are you, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing fine. Been shoveling some of this snow and uh, doing some studies and doing fine today. Great, great. So we're going to be going into, uh, we're going to be talking about something in the, the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. So Scott, where are we going to go? We're going to start off in a particular area? Uh, yeah, well, we're going to ask you to just kind of introduce the book of Galatians and uh, remind us of what the book was about. And then we're going to be talking about the section chapter five, where Paul addresses the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the spirit and the nature of the interaction and repelling between them. Uh, so if you would introduce the book and then Jonathan will kind of introduce um, how, where this uh, placement falls within the book and then we'll get into the discussion. But first, but first I just remembered we had a question. That's right. Deal with that question. A viewer, uh, a listener um, came in with a question last week. Where was, what was that question about? It was 2 Kings 22, when in the days of Josiah, Hilkiah finds the book of the law in the temple. And the question was, um, in those days, would it not have been a scroll instead of a book? And this has to do with, uh, or, or shortly after the time of Christ, uh, we start seeing codexes or not long after the time of Christ. That is a binding, you know, and then a cover and pages. For instance, I've seen a fourth or fifth century copy of the Septuagint down at the Smithsonian that it's got a binding, it's got a cover, it's got pages, but it's all handwritten because it was done like in the 500s or whatever. Um, and so, uh, four or 500s. So, that wasn't the style of books back then. And so the question was, would that not have been a scroll? And if so, what scroll would it be? Because it says the book of the law. And Jonathan, you did some checking on the word there, the Hebrew word, sifar uh, or sifar, if I remember correctly, something like that. And basically, what did the word mean? Um, yeah, so let me pull it up here really quick. Um... There are really cool things happening with Drew's image. Your, your... I, I, I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up, but I am trying to fix it. <laughs> it's kind of like a 1970s video. 
Well, let's just mention this real quickly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a writing. It doesn't have to be uh, a codex. It's a more general word. Like, for instance, uh, in 2 Samuel, when uh, David wants Uriah killed, and he writes the note to Joab, you know, saying, put Uriah in the front and then pull back so he'll be killed. Well, the, the thing he wrote, it's the same Hebrew word. Um, so that was, um, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean a bound book. It means, it means a writing. Is that all we're going to talk about on that one? I'm, I was busy getting, I think I got it working now. So yeah, yeah. You're looking normal now. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. <laughs> all right. So we're going to, you're finished with that one on, on the, the scroll of the book conversation, right? I think so. Unless Jonathan, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so whenever it shows up, um, the, the word is translated, uh, it looks like uh, 184 times it shows up uh, in the scriptures. And of those 184 times, 138 of them are translated as book. Um, and uh, there's only one time that's translated as scroll. So like what you were saying, there's examples of it, like in 2 Samuel 11, where David is writing the letter. Um, and then also in um, 1 Kings uh, 15, um, whenever, um, it talks about, uh, yeah. in first Kings, excuse me, first Kings 14, um, whenever it talks about, um, Rehoboam, um, uh, and all of the Kings, uh, it mentions that they're written in this book. So like the book of first Kings, the or the chronology of the history of the Kings is recorded in the book, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean it's not a scroll or it's not a codex. It's just, a general word for writings or has like writing down information, that kind of thing. So good. So we could almost use the word text. You know, it might be a scroll, it might be a letter, it might be whatever. All right. And as to which book of the law, uh, don't know. Um, it, uh, it, since they ended up paying more attention to Passover, then it would have been a book that included instructions for Passover. So it wasn't like just Genesis or something, but something along that line, but we don't have all the details. All right, so thank you for that question. We appreciate it. And please, while we're on today, we would really love to hear from you. If you have a question, if you have a comment, uh, if you have a question you'd like us to address next week. Um, Drew, could you tell them how to make comments or, or ask questions? Yeah, yeah. And then after that, just quickly intro the book of Galatians for us. Yeah, for those of you who are familiar with it, um, oh, got the wrong thing going on here. Or the, for those of you rather who are new to the program, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, just click on the Q&A or the chat box, the chat window uh, option you have, and then type away your questions um, to, to, you know, if you want questions or comments based on what we're talking about. If you're coming in on Scott's, are we on Facebook yet, uh, Jonathan? having difficulty with the Facebook page. Well, we're going to keep trying there. Um, and let's see. So, so I won't mention anyone on the Facebook page on how to do it, but when they come in, they'll know how to do it. So today, um, we want to look at the, a letter that Paul had written to uh, the churches in Galatia. And, and he wrote it because they were having a problem. Uh, they were going to another gospel, as he said in chapter one, and it, not that there was another gospel, but they were falling for false teachers. Uh, the Judaizing teachers were, uh, for a number of different reasons, they wanted to force the uh, Gentile Christians, and these are 
Jewish Christians wanting to in, impose on Gentile Christians that they had to obey the law of Moses first, um, particularly circumcision. Um, but they're also observing some holidays and uh, celebrations in honor of that. We saw that, I think that's in chapter four, or maybe it was three, but either, either way, they wanted the, chapter four is right, okay. They wanted the, the, the Gentile Christians to first become Jews, and then it's okay, and, we, and you, you'll be accepted. And it was in the form of being saved. And that's what Paul's argument was. No, we're not saved through the law. You can't go back to the laws. So he's bringing all of that up through chapters one, two, three, four. He's also uh, defending his apostleship because they're also apparently trying to destroy his reputation. Don't listen to Paul. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We're the ones that got the straight scoop. We're the ones that know what's going on. And so he's defending himself there, first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, into the fourth chapter. And then um, before coming on, I was asking the panel about this. It seems like he goes all the way in, into chapter five and he starts, he's still continuing the, the discussion, but all of a sudden it seems to make, he seems to make a, a leap or a, a change in the course and starts talking about something else. Now it's not, it just appears to be that way, but from what uh, Scott, you were telling me before, this is not unusual for Paul to make these kind of transitions in his letters. So that's where we're at. We're now gonna look at this transition, this new direction that he's going to. So Jonathan, why don't you kind of detail how that transition works and how it flows in the text? Uh, yeah, so in chapter five, um, after he gets done kind of discussing all that that Drew was talking about, um, he um, starts restating some of the things that he started the letter with, um, like that he was so astonished that they were turning away to a new gospel. And in verse seven of chapter five, he says, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Um, this per, this persuasion is not from him who calls you a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view or no view, uh, other than the one who is, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if that brother still preaches circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In this case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So restating some of the things that he said at the beginning of, you were doing so good, but you've been taken far off. And now he's going to start clarifying where they should be um, and what direction they should be going. In verse 13, he says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Um, for you fulfill the whole law in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Um and that segues into the section we want to spend most of our time talking about of walking by the spirit, being led by the spirit and the fruit of the spirit versus the works of the flesh. But his point is to kind of balance what he's saying. You don't need to be led away by the law. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to follow the old law. Works of the law won't save you. But also you're under God's grace. That doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And he echoes that in a lot of other different books. I think, Scott, you were going to mention um, some of them. And that, that's kind of the, the general pattern that Paul follows in almost all of his letters um, when he's writing about this kind of topic is, look what God has done for you. Now, here's what you need to do for God. Don't take God's grace just to mean you can live your life however you want. Yeah. And, and it's uh, in Romans, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Galatians. He addresses the conceptual part first and then goes to the practical. So in Romans, you have 11 chapters dealing with the problem of sin, the solution of grace, 
the the response of faith, the how it plays out Jews and Gentiles for 11 chapters. And then chapter 12, he says, now here's how you ought to live. You know, love each other, uh, have good attitudes, pay your taxes, don't do bad things to people, etc. Um, Ephesians, after talking about God's eternal plan, etc., etc., for three chapters, then he tells them how to live, including tell the truth, don't lie, you know, don't get drunk with wine, you know, praise God, uh, sing in, in, in your heart, be thankful. Uh, husbands act like this, wives act like that, children act like this, and, and also Colossians and Galatians here. Go ahead, Drew. You have a question. Um... So when he brings up these things, it doesn't necessarily mean they're having issues with those things. This is a generic or a general practice to to a, a, a message on these things that we are to practice them. Would you say that? Or, or were they having specific problems in those areas? Well, anytime you have a church of a sizable group of people, there's a good chance that somebody there needs to hear those messages. Uh, years ago, uh, Paul Earnhardt, um, when he was young, uh, Paul Earnhardt's man, I really appreciate the love. Um, and he's an older preacher. When he was a young preacher, he was uh, learned a lot from an older preacher named Henry Ficklin. Henry Ficklin told a story about a church in Kentucky years ago, and a fellow was scheduled to preach there one Sunday. And he asked Brother Ficklin, you know, what, what do they need? And Brother Ficklin said, you can't miss them. In other words, if there's a problem, you want to preach on Somebody there is going to need it. Um, so, for instance, in Colossians, Paul is writing to people that he's never seen face to face. Yet, he tells the husbands how to behave, the wives how to behave, the children how to behave, masters and servants how to behave, because these things are important. Um, sometimes in a letter, if Paul spends an inordinate amount of time and a lot of arguments on it, you can be pretty sure, okay, there's a problem there. He spends two or three chapters on the same thing, hammering it through. Obviously, you know, it's kind of like if you walk into your house and you hear your wife, you know, talking for 15 minutes to the kids about picking up their clothes. What do you suppose has been going on? <laughs> clothes all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a mess. But, but if she's just going over some general things, it might not be. Uh, so some of the Galatians know, and this is not just to the church at Galatia. This is written to who in chapter one? It's written to the churches in Galatia. Yeah. So these are multiple churches of multiple individuals from different backgrounds. So you can be sure that there were people that needed to hear these things. And Paul's saying these things. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get on into the text now there. So Galatians chapter five. Uh, how about, uh, Jonathan, you already mentioned chapter 13, verse 13 there, but why don't you take us in chapter 5, 13 through 15. All and right. then through after that, let's see if there's any, if you guys have any comments or if our audience has any comments. Um, and then Drew, if after that, if you will read for us, please, verse 16 through 18. And I'll be pulling up Blue Letter Bible. All right, so Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
and we already mentioned, you know, what what his his big point is, maybe trying to um, anticipate the direction that the Galatians could interpret what he's saying and guard against that to show them, no, you still need to love one another, follow the law of Christ, uh, submit yourself to him. You can't just live your life like you want to. And but one thing that I want to bring up and, and think about is, is what would it look like? Um, to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Um, like, what, is that, what does that practically look like? What does that practically mean? What do you guys think? I think we see an example of that in Revelation chapter 3. Um, look over there, Revelation 3. Church at Thyatira. Excuse me, Revelation 2. I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and seduces my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And then they said, the church was doing something's good, but they were tolerating this woman. And uh, he says, uh, he's going to judge her and those with her. And then he says in verse 24, but to you, I say, to the rest that are in Thyatira, as many as have not this teaching, who know not the deep things of Satan, as they are wont to say, I cast no other burden on you. In other words, the rest of you, you're doing fine, except for you're putting up with this nonsense. Don't. But I think it's really interesting what they were wont to say. It's like they knew the deep things of Satan. Have you ever met somebody that has that attitude? They think they need to try you know, it's like, well, how can I be against drugs until I try them? How can I know, you know, and I need to delve into all this to understand. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. freedom in Christ, freedom from the Mosaic law, and more importantly, freedom from sin doesn't mean wallow in the mire. Mm-hmm. And that's rise above it, be renewed, be formed. Yeah. And that's the ironic thing. Like you think about it. What if, what if a Christian used the freedom they have in Christ, the freedom that they've received from God um, that Paul mentions there in verse uh, 13 of Galatians five, that freedom that you're called to, what if you used that to take that Liberty and do whatever you wanted to, what, what would that result in? That would result in you losing your freedom, being a bonded or in bondage to sin, like he talks about in Romans chapter six. You've only got two choices, right? You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness in Romans chapter six. So you think, wow, I have all this great freedom. I can do whatever I want while you're tightening the handcuffs on your on yourself to sin and 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 losing your freedom once again. Amen. Well put. Uh, you want to pick up in sixteen? Yes. Uh, but I, uh, this is Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Um, to walk by the spirit is a choice that we make we have the freedom to do that we can walk by the spirit or we can choose not to we can then go after the desires of the flesh right yeah but wait a minute wait a minute i don't know if you want to go there but it just popped out at me these two things are opposing each other but then he says to keep you from doing the things you want to do 
How does that play into that? Well, let's look at that. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Uh, it's a little bit like this. You remember in the cartoons, you would see the guy and he's got the little angel on one shoulder and the little devil on the other shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If we all had times where the little devil guy, to use the cartoon image, had our attention and yeah, we wanted to do what he wanted us to do. Mm, yeah. yeah. More, more yeah. than not, right? And if, if we're only going by our passions and desires, and immediate gratification, you know, grabbing what's right in front of you. Like children in the children of Israel in the wilderness, they would have done a lot better if they would have been looking where? Head to the promised land. But instead, they were always only seeing what was right in front of them or looking backwards. And that kept getting them in trouble, right? So when a, a small child, um, small children don't think far, very far ahead, right? If you ask a three-year-old, uh, Drew, you, 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 you're, you're talking to a three-year-old and you said, I want to give you something for your birthday. Would you rather have a fully paid four-year, you know, uh, scholarship for, for college or a Twinkie? What are they going to take? <laughs> the three-year-old would gladly accept the college. No, 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 no. The Twinkie. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Twinkie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they're, they're not thinking ahead. Right. And we as human beings too often are not thinking ahead. In Hebrews we, 11 and 1 Peter, it tells us, you're strangers and pilgrims here. Be thinking ahead. When we're not thinking ahead, when we're not thinking about consequences, when we're not thinking about the mercy of Christ, when we're not thinking about what we're called to, when we're not thinking about our eternal soul, and when we're not thinking about how I would feel later today or tomorrow or next week or a month from now, then if there's something in life that makes you feel good immediately right now, if you follow that, are you following the spirit or following the flesh? Flesh. Following the flesh. Yeah, Jonathan. And that's like exactly the point. And I don't want to get too far away from, from Galatians, but Paul, this idea shows up all throughout Paul in Colossians chapter three, he makes a similar kind of point that you just made of setting your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. And he says, the reason why we do that is because you've died with Christ. You're, you're in that relationship with Christ. Now you have that Liberty in Christ. So put to death the things that are, you know, evil in you, the things of the flesh and put on the new self, the new man, it, get rid of those temporary kind of desires and, and look higher, set your mind on things that are higher and, and discipline yourself. I'm not, a, I, I'm not, yeah. I don't know Greek at all, but the, fortunately the, the tools we have helps us there. And that word for want, that's the word that was giving me a little bit of a, a pause, things you want to do, but that actually has to do with what you were saying, Scott, to will, to have in mind, to intend, where we know what we should be doing, but these things are keeping us from doing it because our will is to want to do what the devil on the left or the shoulder here is trying to get us to do. And, and so it's really us. It's so, us still instance, choosing. Yeah, we have to choose. Yeah. Walking by the spirit is not unconsciously the spirit is, you know, operating you like a marionette. 
walking with the spirit is walking with the spirit, being led by the, the, the uh, uh, if a fellow goes on a walk with his dog, why does the dog follow the master and walk with him? He understands that's a master and he wants to be with him. If he, if a sheep is following the shepherd, what's his job? Walk with the shepherd. But sometimes the sheep get stupid. In Isaiah 53, all we like sheep go astray. Gone astray and gone through his each way. And we are to return, First Peter chapter 3, or First Peter 2, into the chapter. We're to return to the good shepherd and walk with him. Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice, and follow me. So walking by the Spirit, look at these phrases here. Walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. And there's one more down here. Look at this. Keep in step with the Spirit. Have you ever have you ever walked with somebody, maybe a child, and they keep getting distracted and slowing down and wandering around, and you keep having to tell them to catch up? Yeah, keep in step. Now, on this to want, let's jump ahead and just look at a couple examples. Sexual immorality. Somebody goes to a bar this Friday night looking for somebody to hook up with that they're not going to pay any attention to or care about in the future. Uh, they're going to use each other. Perhaps somebody gets a sexually transmitted disease. Uh, if a child is the result, somebody's going to pay for an abortion. Is, or, or somebody at, at work, somebody's hitting on somebody else, and then they're planning to violate their marital covenant, and etc. Are any of those people thinking about the future? Not at all. Are they thinking about what the Holy Spirit wants them to do? Are they thinking about God's principle? For this reason, a man should leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Is that what they're thinking about? Anything honorable? No. No. They're thinking about something immediate for right now. Um, How about fits of anger? Do people plan to have a fit of anger? It's like, you know... Would be helpful. I need to schedule in a fit of anger next week. I think that would be productive and helpful. No, no. And, and so drunkenness, or who gets drunk because that will pay off really well. You know, <laughs> I think the best thing I can do for myself, for my family, for my savior, you know, for for the for the Holy Spirit. I think the best thing I could do is get drunk tonight. No, this is all about selfish gratification um, and, and lack of control. Whereas, look what the fruits of the Spirit are. What's this one right here? Self-control. 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 And part of self-control is letting the Spirit be in control. Walking with the Spirit. not, not and, and following Jesus. Not being a sheep that keeps going astray. But No, no, no. Listen to his voice. Follow him. Where, where is, where am I being uh, told to do? I have a question, so Scott. Th- this is just a real tension. Yeah, uh, you may be going here because I, I don't know where you're going, but um, I lost my question. <laughs> you were saying something that 
popped into my head. Continue on. It'll come back. I have a question for you guys. I have a question for you guys. What does it mean here where it says these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the, and, and it says the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. What are some things that might be valuable for us to think about and remember concerning that? Maybe this will lead into it, but I remember my question. Can I, let me just throw out my question that might lead to this, but I don't want to forget it again. How do I know to be led by the spirit? Is this something magical? I don't want to use that word in that sense, but you know what I mean? Is there something all of a sudden, something in my brain is telling me that the spirit wants me to do that or something in my heart? Uh, or is there something other way that I can be sure I'm being led by the spirit? What did what did Stephen say to the uh, Sanhedrin? That you're you stiff necked. Always resist mm. Holy Spirit. You're stiff necked. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Had they been given the the laws, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Had the prophet called them to repentance? Yes. Yeah. Had Jesus been been pointing people back to God for three years? Yeah. And what did they do? They were stiff-necked and kept resisting the Holy Spirit. All right. Yeah. So you're saying it's a knowledge thing. Oh, the Spirit conveys knowledge. That, uh, that's where I was going. The spirit, the spirit will convict of sin. The Old Testament, 2 Peter 1, says no prophecy came by the will of men, but men spake being moved by the Spirit. Paul says the Holy Spirit, God revealed these things to me and the holy apostles and prophets, New Testament prophets, through the Spirit. We write them so you can understand it. Yeah, I'm thinking about what you said, the, the question that you asked about um, how are they against each other? How are they opposed to each other? It reminds me a lot of what Jesus instructs his disciples in Luke chapter 9 and also Luke 14, that if you want to come after me, that there's kind of this three-step process. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And he has some pretty strong language um, in uh, chapter 14. And this is Luke 14 and verse 26, where he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, or even his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's, there's this idea that you need to deny yourself and put God's will above your own will. And that's why the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are against each other, opposed to each other, because there are things that I want to do, ways that I want to live my life, things that I enjoy, but I need to put those aside and do the things that God wants me to do, the things that God has planned for me to do according to his will and serve others and love my neighbor as myself and all those kinds of things. Now, that doesn't always mean that my will can't line up with God's will, because sometimes I do want to love my neighbor as myself. Sometimes I do want to love God, but more times than not, I would rather do my own thing. And that's where they start, you know, opposing each other. Very good. And, and we've got to bring our will in, in, in the, the, as we grow and mature more often, it's like our will becomes God's will. That's also what I want to do. But even Jesus, there was a time where he had to say, not my will, but yours be done. Because can you want, 
You can want the result of the crucifixion, but can anybody look forward to, oh, I'd love to, as the Holy Son of God, be covered with the sins of the world. Mm. Oh, I'd love to be spat upon and beaten and scourged and have nails driven into me while people, you know, mock me and rail at me. So Jesus, this is not what he's personally wanting to go through, but not my will, yours be done. So, so that submission. And as we submit, this is what I'd like to focus on for just a second. As we submit, what do we tend to do? For example, let me just throw out this and ask you a question. If I go through a day where I'm walking by the spirit, being led by the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit. So the way I talk is the way the spirit has said I should talk. The way I'm helping people is that way. Uh, I'm praying, I'm focusing, I'm dependent. On that day, how likely am I to give in to uh, having an affair or getting drunk or something like that? Much less likely. No, because it repels, doesn't it? The more we're doing good, it repels the other. Now, what if on a day, I'm not thinking about what God has done for me. I'm not thinking about what God wants from me. I'm not doing, I'm not thinking about anybody else's needs. I'm only thinking about my needs and my desires on that day. Will it be pretty easy to fail to uh, do the right things? Yeah, you're very susceptible at that point. Yeah, yeah. it's the more you do one, the more, the harder the other is, Jonathan. Yeah, it's like the old the old cliche idols idle hands are the devil's workshop that type of thing and this is this is interesting to me you already mentioned one of the churches that's written to in revelation two and three but in in that list of churches that have the letter written to them by jesus um i think that there are seven that are there most all of them have something to do with like get ready for the persecution that's going to be coming against you you have false teachers that are in your midst and you need to get them out there they're, they're it's very clear Satan is working against these churches, trying to bring them down. But what's fascinating to me is to the church at Sardis, this is what he says to the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So they're just dead. They're spiritually dead. They're not moving forward. They're not keeping in step with the spirit, all that kind of stuff. And when you read through that letter, there's no persecution happening at Sardis. There's no false teachers that have infiltrated Sardis. It's almost kind of like Satan looks at the church at Sardis and realizes, I don't really need to work at that church. They're already dead. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't have to send in persecution. I don't have to send in false teachers. They're not doing anything for Christ anyway. And that's really kind of, you know, the, the point that you're making as well. If you fill your life with things of the spirit, there's going to be kind of more pushback from things of the flesh because it seems like Satan has more work to do in that situation. Yeah. So these are just, and if we can give a, a physical analogy, suppose somebody devotes himself, well, no, let's, and for sake of time, let's just move on. All right, uh, so let's start looking in, uh, and if you're led by the spirit, you are not under law. Remember Romans eight, so we're not under the law of Moses, but we are to be in Christ and be led by the spirit. By the way, these are the two places in the New Testament where it talks about Christians being led by the Spirit. And only these two chapters, Romans 8 and Galatians 5. 
And so look at those two chapters and that'll tell you what being led by the spirit is about. Um, led by the, it, it, let me throw out this if you're interested in, uh, there's a three minute video I've got on three minute Bible study, numeral three minute Bible study. And the title is led by the spirit. And partly it shows a lot of people when they talk about led by the spirit, they're talking about what purchase they should make, you know, what to do for lunch or something like that. No, God's not as concerned about which purchase you make or where you eat lunch. God's concerned that no matter what you purchase or wherever you eat lunch, don't be walking after the flesh. Instead, be in step with the spirit, be led by the spirit, walk with the spirit in having these fruits, love, joy, joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's uh, what it means here. And he says, keep in step with the spirit. Now, let's get into and we'll continue let's continue this next week because obviously we've had some good discussion on the background but we haven't gotten the details yet so the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality all of these have to do with the sexual uh area um and i'd like for you guys to make some practical comments to help people realize why this is so important. Next, we have idolatry and sorcery, which is instead of trusting in God, trusting in some artificial supernatural thing. You know, this statue, this idol, this magic book, these crystals. And then you have attitudes, enmity, strife, jealousy, uh, fits of anger, and a lot of these have to do with other people, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, divisions. And then you just have hedonistic behavior and then envy, hedonistic behavior, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So you don't go through the list and say, oh, meth. He didn't mention meth. I'll go do meth. No, he said things like these. And then there's a warning. What's the warning? Those that do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So many people, so many people constantly think Galatians and Romans and Ephesians are saying faith only. All you got to do is believe. You don't have to obey. All you got to do is believe. None of them said faith only. And all of them end up, end up saying you cannot live like this. You cannot walk in this sin and be saved. You, you, you need to reject the works of the flesh, you need to keep in step with the spirit. So some comments, some practical uh, admonition advice. Uh, just if, you, if somebody in our audience is uh, having trouble with, instead of keeping in step with the spirit, this is where their life is consumed. What do they need to understand about what they're doing, where it leads, consequences of it, and practical ways of, of uh, being submissive instead of foolish. Go ahead. Uh, I notice it doesn't have covetousness in that list, but it does have idolatry. In somewhere else, doesn't Paul say, and covetousness, which is idolatry? Yeah, yeah. And so, so covetousness is covered there, and it's desiring something 
that's not yeah. yours it's wanting yeah. and and yet idolatry is listed there and sometimes we think of idolatry just as bowing down to a statue or something but isn't this talking about anything that you put before god you, you put god second or third down the list but something else is in front and of him and any of that can be idolatry yeah and yeah. again we've got and things like these john right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, when 1 Timothy 4 verse 7, he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise to the present life and also to the life to come. So the observation that I want to make, and just a piece of practical advice, and something that I need to remember as well, this process of walking, being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, um, it's easy to get really, really discouraged by that whenever you don't measure up every single time and when you do fall. And so um, it's not an excuse to, uh, oh, well, we're all, you know, fallible, we all make mistakes, you know, no big deal. Um, but keep in mind that it's kind of like if, if you have an addiction to something um, and uh, you, you know, get converted, give up your, you know, you, you're uh, an alcoholic and you're converted, you become a Christian and realize you can't be drunk, you can't keep drinking alcohol and uh, you still have that physical dependence on the alcohol. It's going to be hard for you and a long process for you to put down the bottle and give yourself to Christ. So practically speaking, training ourselves, it's a, it's a long process of changing how we think, changing how we uh, act on our day-to-day -day life. And that really starts with setting our mind where it needs to be, um, that training process. I think about, um, I, I used to be a personal trainer and uh, Paul mentions in First Timothy chapter four, the physical training, bodily training, having some value. Um, the people that had the, the best results, whenever they would come in and have a goal of what they wanted to accomplish physically, the ones that would have the best results were the ones that um, had committed in their mind that this is what they wanted to be. This is the, the end goal, end result that they wanted to have. But people that just came in and didn't really have a reason why they wanted to lose weight or have like an end goal in mind, they would stick around for like a week or two and then fall off the wagon, not come back. And so I think that's why it's so important what Paul says in Colossians 3, that you need to set your mind on things that are above. Decide in your mind, I am going to think more spiritually, think more like Christ. I, I'm going to, you know, almost force myself to do that. And with time, it'll become more and more natural. Um, so devote yourself to Bible reading, M make yourself get up and read the scriptures every morning, make yourself get up and pray every morning, set your mind on that. And the results will follow. Wouldn't you say the motivation to True. do all of that? The motivation is to inherit the kingdom of god i want to inherit the kingdom of god as he says there in 521 galatians 521 because though those who uh, do these things will not so so why would i put myself through that that <coughs> excuse me effort because i want to inherit the kingdom matthew chapter 6 verse 33 seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness the person following the flesh in verse 19, 20, and 21, they're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's an it's an ongoing thing. Keep, keep in step with the spirit. Not one time, you know, oh, you know, keep 
in step with the spirit. Jesus said, um, if you're going to follow me, Luke 9, 23, first you have to deny self. This is not about you. You know, you are not your own. God created us and Jesus died for us. Deny self, take up your cross. The old man needs to be put to death and take up your cross daily and follow me. So if, 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 I, if I get in my car and I drive from here to San Diego, right? Um, how many times am I going to move the wheel in correction? Well, a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because like in Proverbs, it says, you know, keep on the path. Go straight ahead. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. It, you know, I might be looking at a billboard. I might be uh, listening to a song. I might be in conversation. All of a sudden, I notice what? Hey, I'm headed over there. So what do I do? Come back. Something else. And I notice I'm headed over there. Come back. It's not that just, well, in 1978, I decided to go straight. Well, keep doing it. Keep adjusting, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, TJ makes a point that uh, she said, I think all of the works of the flesh have something in common, selfishness. I think that's another way that these yes. are opposed to the fruit of the spirit, self-control yes. instead of selfishness. And then she says, works of the flesh is the path of least resistance. So to, to I agree with that. I think that's really, really a good observation that it's easy to do the works of the flesh. <laughs> It's not always easy to bear the fruit of the spirit, to be loving, to be patient, to be peaceful. And so it really, really starts with self-control. Um, and, and that's kind of the whole point, training ourselves, making ourselves do those things, even when we don't want to, even when it's uncomfortable, that will lead to bearing the fruit of the spirit. But just choosing not to and taking the path of least resistance, obviously, you're just going to keep right. stumbling and falling. Right. Scott, there's a lot. No, I was going to say the same thing and read the comment that Jonathan read, but I was also going to add, um, there's a lot more you said you wanted to bring up. Can we continue this conversation next week? Yes, absolutely. Let's do that. And let's pick up with going through these works of the flesh, specifically talking about, uh, like, if a person out there is, you know, letting themselves be trapped in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, to take that serious realizing that is a work of the flesh you will not inherit the kingdom of god uh instead he, what does he say he says walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh be led by the spirit uh keep in step with the spirit and we'll be talking about that we'll go through the sexual sins and then these sins and then these sins, and then we'll switch over to the fruits. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you guys for your discussion. Thank you to our audience um, for tuning in. Um, and if you all have questions that you'd like um, in Galatians 5, talking in this topic, or any other questions that you have, you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.tv, and we'll be happy to get to those and address them on our live shows. Lord willing.